bienvenido. Ahora estás escuchando el Paseo Podcast, donde descatamos las historias de, por y para la comunidad puertorriqueña. Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. I want to wish you all a feliz año nuevo. It's been a long few weeks since we last posted a podcast. Did you miss us? I hope so, because I sure as heck missed you. A lot has happened over the past few weeks that I wish we had time to discuss on today's episode. For now, I want to start off by wishing everyone who celebrated it a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, and a happy Three Kings Day. I also want to offer up prayers and solidarity to all our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico and to all other affected countries in the Caribbean. The Caribbean has been dealing with the effects of multiple earthquakes that have happened in the area. Puerto Rico, especially, has seen a ton of devastation so far. We've shared a few news stories, photos, and videos of what's been happening on our Twitter and Facebook pages, but the short of it is that La Isla needs our help. According to CNN, over 500 earthquakes have hit the island in the past 10 days, with the strongest being a 6.4 magnitude quake. Homes have collapsed, ecosystems have been destroyed, tourist attractions like Punta Ventana in Guayanilla no longer exists, hundreds of people are without water, roughly two-thirds of the island are without power, and at least one person has been reported dead. Climate change is real, y'all, and we are seeing the effects of it right here, right now. Moving forward, I'm working on getting a guest or two on the podcast to speak to how we can better help people in Puerto Rico and to better understand what is going on on the island during this recovery effort. So if you have any guests or resources to suggest, please send them to the Paseo Podcast at gmail.com. That's Paseo, P-A-S-E-O, podcast at gmail.com. Until then, the Puerto Rican agenda right here in Chicago has reactivated their three R's campaign to fundraise for relief efforts to help people affected most by the devastation caused by these earthquakes. If you want more information or are able to donate to relief efforts, the Puerto Rican agenda here in Chicago is accepting donations at PuertoRicanChicago.org. Again, that's PuertoRicanChicago.org. So you can visit that website to learn more. It's very hard to make a transition to the topic of today's episode, but Puerto Ricans are a strong people and we pride ourselves in our resiliency. And nothing says resilience, pride in our land, and Boricua more than our bandera. Here in Chicago on Paseo Boricua, we have two gigantic Puerto Rican flags that span 59 feet tall. Just picture that for a second. 59 feet tall. They are enormous. If you haven't seen them, they are a must-see monument to Puerto Rican culture here in Chicago. 
They were dedicated to the community on January 6th, 1995, which is also Three Kings Day. This past Monday, they celebrated their 25th birthday. So on Three Kings Day, we invited Billy Ocasio, who played an instrumental role in getting the flags built on the show. He was the alderman for the area at the time and now serves as the CEO of the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. He's going to take us back in time to what it was like getting these monuments to Puerto Rican culture constructed, as well as his thoughts on the significance of the flags today as the community deals with the effects of gentrification. Oh, and by the way, similar to our conversation with Puerto Rican students from the Yale Endowment Justice Coalition in episode 15, my conversation with Billy took place via Zoom video conferencing, so the audio will sound a bit different than what you're used to. Let's jump into the conversation. Return episode of the Paseo podcast. We are back from break. We are sitting here with Billy Ocasio, the chief executive officer of the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. He's also had a couple other significant roles here in the city of Chicago. We're here to talk about the 25th anniversary of the gigantic banderas, the big Puerto Rican flags that bookend Paseo Boricua, and Billy played an instrumental part in that. Uh, but before we get into the specifics of how the flags came to be, Billy, welcome to the Paseo podcast. What should our audience know about you? Well, thank you, uh, Joshua, and happy uh, Three Kings Day, I guess. Um, no, let me just say, I think that what people need to know about me is that I uh, I, I was born at the Region American Hospital there in, off of uh, Division Street in Humboldt Park. Um, I was born there. I am now the chairman of the board at the hospital. Uh, I lived there almost my whole life, me and my family, my brothers and sisters uh, have lived in Humboldt Park most of our lives. Uh, I think the only time I moved away was uh, when I went to college. Um, and then now, now that I moved out, uh, but I've uh, worked in the city most of my life. I uh, used to run non-for-profit agencies, and then I became an alderman for 16 years. I became senior advisor of Governor Quinn. From there, I started to run the National Puerto Rican Museum with my wife, Veronica, and the boys. And we've always been part of Paso Boricua. One of the testaments to a lot of the work that you've done in the city, specifically in Humble Park, is those gigantic Puerto Rican flags on Division Street. For our listeners that aren't familiar with those flags or, or are not from Chicago, can you give us a brief overview of what those gigantic Puerto Rican flags here on Paseo Boricua, what's the significance of them? Can you give us just like a kind of a, a snapshot into what we should know about them? Well, let me just say, I think that, you know, I got uh, appointed to become the alderman in 1993. Congressman Gutierrez had made a recommendation to Mayor Daley. He appointed me in January 6th of 1993. And the first thing I did was hold a community summit. And we had a community summit that went all day on a Saturday, started at 8 o'clock in the morning, finished at 9 o'clock at night. But we had over a thousand people from the community participate in that. And basically, my, my ask to the people during that whole day was, what do you guys want to see in this community? And so we broke down into Mayor Daly had brought his cabinet. We had 
in one room we had department of planning and another one we had housing we had business development so we basically broke down into groups and we came up with a big plan an overall plan as far as what the community should do um and so part of the inspiration for the flex really comes out of there part of what we did was that we had wanted to create uh a sense of uh community um, to kind of bring back the prideness of the people, to bring make our children feel proud of who they were. And so this was the result of all of that. Uh, and a bunch of other things that happened in between. I mean, we tried to put up a statue from Pedro Aviso Campos, and that didn't work. Uh, and so the flags was kind of my way of telling the mayor, look, we uh, you guys have really kind of divided up the Puerto Rican community. I need to bring the Puerto Rican community back, and this is how we're going to do it. And we created Paso Boricua and the flags. There, you mentioned the statue of Dr. Pedro Bizu Campos. Is that the same statue that now sits in the casita in Paseo Boricua? Yes, I think that what people need to realize was that um, when Congressman Gutierrez was an alderman, uh, him and the community had raised the money to create a statue. That statue was supposed to go up when I became the alderman. Uh, and so couple of weeks before the statue was supposed to go up, uh, we were told uh, it was supposed to go up in Humboldt Park. Uh, we were told by the park district that that statue could not be put in there because the materials didn't meet uh, materials of what a statue should be made out of if we were uh, going to put it up in Chicago's park. And so we, um, the community came together and we raised the money and created a, another a second statue made out of bronze this time. And so then again, as we were about to put up the statue in Humboldt Park, a couple of days before, we were told that, again, that we couldn't. Uh, so for me, my first six months of being in Alderman was really fighting for the statue. We kept fighting for it. It just wasn't materializing. And then there was an election that was being held, actually. We were running... Uh, Roberto Maldonado, we were running him for the first time to be Cook County Commissioner. And so, uh, again, the powers that be decided that they would divide up our community and go with a different candidate. And so we went through that election. We got Roberto Maldonado elected as Cook County Commissioner. Uh, but it left the community very divided. And I remember going back to the administration and saying, look, guys, we have mayor, the mayor and I have an election in 1995. You guys have done such a, a big job in dividing up this community that I need to bring them together again. We need to unite them. And so the project that I gave the city uh, that they agreed to was to build these flags. And so that was kind of a result of the statue. So we got the statue put up at the little casita and we ended up getting the flags and Paso Boricua. And would you say, Billy, you know, I grew up in Humboldt Park my whole life, and I've only ever known Paseo Boricua. Would, was that strip of land on Division Street known as Paseo Boricua before the flags, or did the flags kind of cement that name in history? No, we, uh, we kind of cemented that name. I mean, you got to remember that before the flags went up, that street, the storefronts on that street were at an 83% vacancy rates uh there was not much there on division street uh within the first five years of those flags going up and us creating Paso Boricua, uh the storefronts went from 83 percent vacancy 
to a 76% occupancy rate with almost all of the all of the businesses owned by Puerto Ricans. Wow. I know this is kind of a, a random data question for you, Billy, but do you know what the occupancy rate is currently? I, I know we have a, we're in a heavily gentrifying area. Do you know what that occupancy rate or vacancy rate is on Paseo Boricua currently? Not the current one. I think okay. Division Street will have that information. Yeah. Uh, but I do know that even though gentrification has happened, that still the majority of all the buildings there are owned by Puerto Ricans. Although there's still more to do and still for more that people can contribute to. As you guys have been saying, the flags are still there and Paso Boricua is still there. That's a gigantic jump over the span of five years from them being built five years later. Well, having a well, Part of it was huge. that we needed to instill some, a sense of pride in our people. I mean, you had, mm-hmm. you had students that were walking to Roberto Clemente every day. But the majority of them did not know who Roberto Clemente was. And so part of it was how do we instill a sense of pride and identity into our people? Uh, And the flags did that. The flags brought people together. It got people to buy businesses. It got people to move their businesses and organizations to Division Street. Uh, So it created a new awakening for the Boricua people. With the discussion around what to what to bookend uh, Paseo Boricua with in terms of just Puerto Rican symbolism, why why decide on the Puerto Rican flag of all symbols? Well, let me tell you that first of all, I we told the administration that they had basically ten months <laughs> to, <laughs> to give birth to these flags. No pressure um, at all. <laughs> no pressure at all, but I wanted them done. I mean, I sent out an email this morning. I think you were included on it. That kind of gives a little bit of history of that day. Yes. And my only demand of the city was that they had to be done by Three Kings Day, January 6, 1995. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so part of that was that we, um, you know, we wanted to um, to erect these flags that will give that sense of pride to people, but we also wanted to make sure we brought in all of the related services that went along with that. So it was about bringing in affordable housing. It was about bringing in businesses and organizations, um, you know, and the flags, we did not know there were going to be flags in the beginning. I remember that my, my top community advisor on this was professor Jose Lopez. And, um, and I, took him to some of the meetings with me with Department of Transportation. Uh, and there was one meeting in particular that I took him to. Uh, but one of the things we had the architects do was go out and talk to people and find out what is it that people in Puerto Rican community talked about. And, you know, they came back to me and said, Alderman, you know, there's like, there's nowhere we go where people don't have the flag as their symbol. And so I remember telling them, look, just draw some concepts and designs and, you know, we'll pick one. And so the meeting where I was supposed to pick a design, I took Professor Jose Lopez with me because I, you know, he had done so much for the community and for me, and I wanted him to be part of this. And so the minute that they unveiled, they unveiled 10 designs to us. And the minute that they unveiled it, I already knew which one it was going to be, but I wanted to see how he he would react. And he saw the ones with the flags, and he said, Billy, it has to be this one. I said, exactly. And so we ran with that one. Uh, and so, you know, that's how we kind of came up with this idea. But what the architect said was basically the biggest sense of pride among your people is the flag. You see it everywhere. 
It's my understanding that those banderas are the largest flags in the world. They, they are. They are. Yeah. I, they are. Let me, let me tell you that in that same year of 1995, the American Institute of Architects, the AIA, they were giving out their uh, national awards, international awards, and those flags were put up uh, against a building in Belgium, against different types of things, and those flags won 13 awards, architectural and engineering awards, mostly because what people don't know is that each one of those flags had to be like six to eight, each piece of steel on that flag could only be six to eight uh, inches long because of the high winds of Chicago, it needed to withstand that. If they did, did the, if they did the pieces longer, there will be more, it, it wouldn't be able to withstand the winds. So each, that flag is made up of thousands of six to eight pieces of steel. I mean, they're, they're a pretty big deal. I mean, largest monument to a flag, largest flag not made out of cloth, I mean, they, I mean, it's, it's quite a testament, quite a gift to the Puerto Rican community. You mentioned a little bit about the material that the flag was made out of. Can you say a little bit yes. more about the symbolism behind the materials used to make the banderas? Well, you know, the reason I actually that morning when we unveiled the flags, I, uh, I dedicated the flags to all of the Puerto Rican people who had come here from Puerto Rico who came here to work at the steel mills and the pipelines, which most of our parents worked at. I know my father worked at the pipeline in Franklin Park, but a lot of them left their blood, sweat, and tears out there and, uh, you know, creating steel pipes and iron pipes and, and that stuff for, you know, for city's infrastructure and all that. Never did they imagine that one day the, the same the same labor that they had done will lead to the creation of the two world's biggest monuments to, to a flag anywhere. And you mentioned earlier too, Billy, and I was I was looking at your email earlier today that you sent out to everyone, and I uh, just wanted to talk about the significance of the flag being erected on Three Kings Day. Um, and in your email, you had you had mentioned you said the city and I spent months putting this together, and my only real demand to them was that it had to happen the morning of January sixth. 1995, Our Three Kings Day. Can you say a little bit uh, more about the significance behind having the flags built uh, and ready by January 6th on Three Kings Day? I, you know, I was a Puerto Rican kid who grew up in Humboldt Park, uh, had only been to Puerto Rico once, maybe twice, but we all knew what Puerto Rico meant to us. We knew the flag meant to us. And for us, it was like just the fact that you know, in Puerto Rico, they celebrated the uh, Day of Epiphany, then that's the day where the three kings will bring, will find baby Jesus and bring him gifts. Uh, so that is the way we celebrated in most of Latin America and in a lot of Europe. So for me, it was like, what's the highest honor we could give to our community is not to give them a gift on the Day of Three Kings. Uh, so that was what we shot, shot for. And, uh, you know, and everybody worked around the clock to make these things happen. The engineers, the architects, the designers. I mean, everybody worked around the clock. I'm going to tell you that that night I didn't sleep. I remember getting calls uh, about 12.03 in the morning was the first call I got. And that was that, hey, you know, the flags, well, one was the weather and that the weather was bad and they weren't sure how they were going to get the flags there and they could get them there in time and, and 
you know, and then they said, well, you know, the other thing is that we're having a problem getting them out of the building. So they ended up, because they couldn't get them out of their overhead door, so they ended up taking down one of the walls of the, of the, of the factory where they had them at. And, uh, and that's how they got the flags out and got them on trucks. And they went under, under overpasses and bridges, but they had to take the long way around because they wouldn't fit any other way. But it was, uh, you know, it was a whole night of just logistics. I remember that some of the, the men, some of the businessmen in our community had Asafino horses who during the winter, they had them stored in various places in Wisconsin and Michigan and various places. And so I said, I would need those horses out here. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but because of the cold, they weren't sure what was going to happen. But, you know, everything came together little by little. People and people started to arrive first by the tens and then by the fifties and the hundreds and then the thousands and, you know, became... Wow. Uh, people just warmed up the, the community, and uh, we had a big celebration. We had trios playing. We had a paranda going on. You know, all the businesses on the Vicious Street uh, took part in it. Uh, it was a, just a great day for our community. You mentioned um, just just going back to that day, January 6th, 1995. In, your, in that same email you sent out earlier today, you had a quote from here daily that said, Billy, you told me you wanted two flags but you never mentioned how big they were going to be. Was he, uh, was he giving you a, was he giving you a hard time or like, would you, the kids will say, uh, the kids no, will say I mean, finesse. He loved it. He just never, yeah. I, you know, the, the truth is I had mentioned it to him. The fact is that I, I don't think people really can imagine how big they are until they see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, we had all the specs down, and I remember he got out, his car arrived, I went to greet him at the car, he gets out of the car, and he's just looking up, and he says, Billy, you never told me how big these flags were going to be. But, you know, he enjoyed them, we all had a great day, and you know, he loved them. And not only that, I mean, he, he, you know, he used it as a tourist attraction. People would come in and would, he would show them and he would use us, the Humble Park community, as a model of how do you build a community. Uh, I remember uh, one of the governors of Puerto Rico coming in and we did a big celebration for her. And uh, she, her first words were like, you know, every Puerto Rican from around the world has to make a Mecca to Chicago, not only to see the flags, but to see how you build the Puerto Rican community. Uh, So, you know, it became a sense of pride for all of us. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode, This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, Give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. 
Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. building a Puerto Rican community kind of being a, a Mecca, a yearly pilgrimage that needs to be made to, to Chicago to see these banderas. Take us back to 1995. What do you think the flags represented in 1995 when they were built? And what do you think they mean today? Well, I think in 1995, when they were first built, I know that we had a lot of critics. I mean, people were like, really? Are you going to build these flags when there's all of these issues that happen in our community or are happening in our community. Um, but, you know, for us, it was the bigger picture. It was like, you know, how do we deal with housing? How do we deal with education? How do we deal with all these things unless people have uh, are invested themselves into it? And so that was what the flags were supposed to represent was like, yeah, so what if we have an 83% vacancy rate Let's fix it. You know, let's get to work on it. And, you know, the Department of Planning came in, got involved and said, OK, for anybody who establishes a business on the Mission Street, we're going to give them certain incentives. And so they gave us tax dollars to help. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of businesses on the Mission Street who took advantage of this. They wanted to fix up their facades uh, and the city gave them a forgivable loan for those things. Um, you know, we had housing, same thing. You know, we. Uh, we we brought in the housing organizations. You had Hispanic Housing and Bickerdike and Lucha. And we brought them all together and we built, you know, the La Estancia building on the corner division and in California. We built the Teresa Rodan Paso Borico apartments on the corner division in, Ca- in Campbell. Uh, we did various housing projects. And then for homeowners, we created the same type of a project. We had, because uh, we created what we call, you know, a TIF. And that TIF took money out to help homeowners fix their roofs and their facades and those sorts of things. And these were all forgivable loans. Uh, so, you know, it uh, it helped to spark what we needed. And it was, you can't just give to a community. That community has to buy into it. And so that's what, that I think that that was the, re- the real result of those flags. Um, the fact that young people at Clemente were now, looking into their identity, the fact that we brought uh, Fiesta Boricua to Division Street with all of these various artists and people could celebrate who they were and not be ashamed of their identity or where they came from. Uh, You know, Humble Park wasn't considered a great place. And, you know, it still has problems, but it still brought a sense of, of ownership and responsibility and pride to our people. You mentioned a lot of this being, a lot of this development being possible through the help of TIF dollars, and that's our tax increment financing for anybody that is listening that doesn't know what a TIF is. And I think that's a very yes, good yes. And that And that gets a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, um, you get a lot of uh, passionate uh, thoughts depending on who you talk to about TIF dollars, um, but this this feels like the examples you're giving. This is kind. Of, this is basically what TIFs were were meant for to 
They come out of our, our taxes and they go to underserved communities to help uplift small businesses and build senses of communities in places that probably wouldn't get that attention or level of resources. So for people listening, you know, this is a, this is a perfect example of how TIF dollars can be used for the better. And, and, and the city used it as an example, too, of how TIF dollars can really help out a community. Yeah. Um, so, so Billy, thinking about, and, and I, I, I like that we talked about your process and, and, and different tools that people can use, like, like uh, TIF dollars. Um, can you say a little bit more for any communities out there, any people in communities that are listening that, that want to create cultural monuments and build a sense of cultural community in their neighborhoods? Can you say a little bit more on what the process was like for you in getting the flags for Humble Park? What steps or insights should people consider if they're trying to create cultural monuments of their own? Well, I, I think one, it's really to involve the community as much as possible. You know, uh, Jose Lopez, myself, and a few others had created the Puerto Rican Agenda. And so the Puerto Rican Agenda was a group of community leaders that came together once a month to discuss various topics there and how it affected our community. But so I think the first thing to do is really get community buy-in. Getting community buy-in helps you take the plan from something that's tr that's trending today to something that's going to last forever. Uh, and I think that that's what the most important thing is here. And then, too, you just, you can't, you know, it's something you got to keep fighting for. You can't give up. Uh, I know that even doing these flags, the statue, the flags, uh, the museum, the museum, it's all a process, and it's a political process that you can't give up on because most of the time they'll be t they'll tell you no. But you know, it's something that you got to stick to and and make sure you keep everybody involved in it. And you know, at, at the end of the day, people realize when it's something good. Mayor Daly realized this is going to help out not only not only that community, but it's going to help out a lot of other communities. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned the community involvement, specifically the PR agenda. We've had uh, Jesse Fuentes on the show, co-chair of the PR agenda. We recently had a conversation with Cristina Pasiones-Zayas, who's the other co-chair of the PR agenda. And, you know, there's a lot of good work being done there. But just the, the importance of just expanding beyond that, how do you build those coalitions? So, so things like these that start out as ideas can be made possible. It's so, so important to get the community involved. Speaking of getting the community involved, uh, we did not talk about this before, but I did get a question from one of our listeners on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You may not be the right person to ask this question. It's a small question, but um, Wilfredo okay. uh, Silva on Facebook asked, uh, what can we do to get the flags repainted? They have lost, they've lost some color over the years. Is there any, any, any answer or direction you can provide? And how, how can we do that? How can we get them repainted? Uh, and I totally agree with that. I, you know, now I run the museum, and the museum is willing to invest uh, some dollars into that process. It's a process that has to be started by the city department of transportation. Uh, they have to take it on. Uh, I think that they had done this once before. However, the last time they did it, they forgot to put on the, the ultraviolet coating uh, on it, so that's what causes the fading of the of the flags being in the sun. Uh, so they need to start that process again. Uh, I know that there's an expense to that. Uh, I you know, as I said, the museum is willing to contribute towards that. Uh, the Department of Transportation at the city is the one who has to take the lead on this, and I think uh, the community should demand it. 
so demand that they get repainted. It's been 25 years, I think, where they've been refinished once, I believe. Mm, okay. Well, Fredo, if you're listening, you got your answer. Uh, let's start getting the community together and, and uh, ask for the flags to get repainted so we have our direction there. Um, we'll and, and I'll commit today that the Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture will donate the first $5,000 towards the restoration of them. Wow, that's a big deal. Awesome. That's, that's awesome, Billy. You mentioned the museum. Let's talk about that a little bit. I introduced you at the top of the show as the CEO of the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. So, obviously, with the, an example of the investment that you want to put, that the museum wants to put into the community with being willing to drop five grand into getting those flags, those banderas repainted. Aside from that, like what work is going on at the National Museum right now? What should people know about the museum? Well, I think what people should know is that, one, we're in the process of getting our national accreditation. Uh, we will, uh, it's a huge process. Um, we are the only Puerto Rican museum outside of the, outside of the island. Um, and uh, so we got a lot going on. I think that, you know, we've created a museum that could bring in various exhibits. We've had various exhibits there. Um, but it's a, a cultural center, too. It's not just about uh, arts or it being a museum. It's really about arts and culture and preserving those things. I think what people need to know is that, uh, you know, it's a building that was horse stables before, had been vacant for almost 60 years, uh, had burned down. And then we decided to take that on. Actually, it was a, a act of love from me and my wife, Veronica. We met during this project, uh, but I brought this project to the Puerto Rican agenda when I was at Alderman and asked them to support us on it. And so we spent 15 years restoring uh, these horse stables, uh, this horse stable into a museum. Uh, so in 2014, we opened up fully my wife Veronica and Professor Jose Lopez, and, you know, and the, and the board, board of trustees, we all got together and said, we're going to make this thing happen. And we did. Uh, so now we're the national, we changed our name to the National Museum in 2014. Things are moving forward. And we are, we are celebrating this year also our 20th anniversary. I told you that it took us 15 years to restore this building. And we still got a lot more to go, but um, we restored it. It took us 15 years. It took us $9 million uh, to construct it. But we're, you know, we're, we're being celebrated in various places. We had great actors come out and be part of it. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda was part of it, Rita Moreno, uh, Jimmy Smith this year. Uh, we've had, you know, David Bignall. We've had various people just come out and give us support. Uh, so, you know, and just this morning, I got a message from Esmeralda Santiago, the, the famous author who wrote uh, When I Was Puerto Rican, uh, congratulating us and sending us well wishes on the, on the 25th year anniversary of the flags and the 20 year anniversary of the museum. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, both of these projects are like anchors to our community. Well, we'll have to have you on the show or maybe another representative from the, the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture in the future to just kind of talk about what is that process like of kind of rebuilding that space, getting accredited, uh, and now celebrating the 25th anniversary. I'd love to get an update on, you know, what are some of the big plans y'all have for the future? So we'll have to have you on another time in the future. But I do, sure. want, to, but I sure. do want to be respectful of your time. So we're, our show is coming to an end. 
Um, so what can you tell our listeners how they can keep up with you? How can they keep up with the museum? Is there social media channels they should know about, a website they should know about? How can they stay up to date with you in the museum? Well, you know, www.nmprac.org is the best way to keep up with us. It's our website, and, you know, and we have Facebook and all those other things. But uh, I'm, I'm personally and technically challenged that way. I don't do any of that stuff. Staff does and everybody else does. So, you know, but we welcome you all to be part of it. Thank you, Billy, for being on. We appreciate you making the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day, Billy. Take care. Bye-bye. I want to thank Billy Ocasio once again for being on the Paseo podcast. He shared a lot of quality thoughts on the importance of the Puerto Rican flags and what the future may hold for them. He even inspired me to get a little campaign going to get the flags repainted. Stay tuned on that one. On next week's episode, I welcome to the podcast small business owner Michelle Vasquez. She owns a company called Chettables, and they make weed-infused sweets. Since weed is legal now in Illinois, we're going to hear from Michelle what the new weed laws mean for her and her business. I think it's going to be a good episode. I think you're going to like what you hear, even if you don't partake. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com and following us at Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode and see you next week. Cuídate.